Welcome to Superhumanize, and thank you for spending your time with us. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. You know the saying, time is money. Time is actually worth much more than that because time is life force. It is our most valuable currency to speak. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have more free time to do the things you love, stress less, while knowing everything is taken care of? This is what today's guest, Jenny Blake, will help you achieve. Jenny is an international speaker, career and business strategist, and executive coach with expertise on systems, efficiency, and career fluidity in the rapidly evolving knowledge economy, helping leaders, employees, and entrepreneurs achieve greater clarity, engagement, fulfillment, and impact. Jenny is the author of the award-winning book, Pivot, The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One, and the co-creator of Google's acclaimed Career Guru Coaching Program. She's also the host of two podcasts, Free Time for Heart-Based Business Owners and Pivot with Jenny Blake with over 1 million downloads combined. In her latest book, Free Time, Lose the Busy Work, Love Your Business, Jenny teaches us how to free our mind, time, and our team from merely being busy to doing our best work, operating efficiently and intuitively, so we can live our best life and contribute the best to life. Jenny is fiercely committed to helping people come alive through the pursuit of big ideas. Her superpowers are helping to craft a compelling vision, collaboratively developing strategy and systems with clear, measurable outcomes, and incorporating the latest tools and technology. Jenny's heart-based principles, as well as practical tools, are truly life-changing, helping us to move from friction to flow. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Jenny, welcome to the Superhumanized podcast. I'm so happy you are my guest today. Thank you so much. Likewise, I'm thrilled to be here. You know, something that really fascinates me about your life story is that you left your job at Google. You had about, I think, six months of savings and you were absolutely up for spending all of it. Can you take us to that particular time in your life? Because I think a lot of people, they would never even dare leaving a company such as Google. And you just took that leap. I was feeling a lot of insecurity about that because at that time, Google was paying me. I was and I was young. I was in my mid-20s, but low six-figure salary, three meals a day. I had a great job. And all these friends too, because I'm in this office environment with all these bright young minds. 
And I just remember feeling so insecure about this decision to leave because who was I to think in creating my own business that I could create all of that abundance that I was experiencing at Google. And I didn't really see myself. It's not like when I left, I thought, oh, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to be the best business owner that ever lived. No, I just had this whisper in my soul. I could do more of my best work that I was doing some great work at Google, but I was also in a lot of meetings and doing a lot of emails and there's just a lot more noise in a way. And so I finally, as you said, I got to the point where I just felt like I wanted to try. I wanted to give myself six months. And if I spent through every dollar of my savings and didn't earn anything back and I couldn't break even after six months, okay, at least I would know that I tried. And I thought truly 50-50 that at that point in my life, like I had 50% chance of not spending through the savings and I had 50% chance that I wouldn't earn a dollar. I didn't know. It's not like I had some thriving side hustle that was already paying the equivalent salary. And sure mm-hmm. enough, like I, I did it. Within a month, I was so paranoid about not failing that within a month, it was fine. I didn't end up spending into that savings until two years later, which is a whole nother story, but it kind of that's the precipice that it was much scarier to pivot at that time because there was no paycheck funding that. And can you take us just like a bird's eye overview through these first few months of when you just dared to go and follow that inner whisper, that voice? What's interesting about working in corporate is that there's so much going on. Google now, OKRs is a common term in the business world that many people have borrowed from Google, objectives and key results. And I remember I had so many objectives and things that I was responsible for in Google When I left in those first few months, I couldn't believe how quiet my life became. That now I only had one goal, and that was pay the bills. It was so simple. So instead of having to be part of all these complex teams and projects and drive results and maintain who even knows how many 10 OKRs, I had one pay the bills, figure it out. And I also had so much more mental and energetic capacity. I know you're all about optimizing for our strengths and our energy. I had so much more creative space that I had freed up. I did need a month or two to just wind down off the intensity of the pace of the culture and coming off my own burnout of having run side projects while working full-time. But once I did that, I was amazed at when I had my full creative energetic capacity available for my own projects every day, I was much more resourceful in terms of what services do I want to offer? What kinds of clients do I want to attract? What rates would be most abundant? And just continuing to run experiments. And then I had full autonomy at that point, how I structure my time, how I structure the work. So that became super energizing and fulfilling that made even financial dips worth it. Because people often ask me, oh, do you regret leaving? Even current Googlers will ask, did you regret leaving? Were there moments where you wished you hadn't? And there was never. As low as I got in my business, I always knew I had made the right choice in terms of the big macro container of what I was doing. And that's the beauty of freedom. What, you know, which can of course be a little scary, but it also just allows you to unfold and to really look where are your desires, your purpose, where are your strengths. And we all know the term of high net worth. You actually talk about high net freedom. Can you expound a little bit on that? Yeah. I wrote this new book, Free Time, for people who money is important, but it's not everything. My second book, Pivot, 
was for people who are high net growth. Anybody listening to this podcast is high net growth because you're spending some of your time on learning and growing and evolving. And they're not just asking, what am I earning? But what am I learning? Am I still growing and evolving? And often they will bootstrap a business or make lateral moves if it serves their personal growth. And then high net freedom is, yes, am I learning and growing, but also do I have time freedom? Do I have autonomy over who I work with and what I'm working on? And there are many of us for whom freedom is a beacon. It's the North Star. And it's not that we it's not that we have to earn less, but it's just that money isn't everything. So I think for those of us optimizing for high net freedom, we are looking for that sweet spot of what I call revenue, ease, and joy. But we will sometimes say no to a client or a direction in the business. We won't grow just for growth's sake or expand the business just to so the business looks good on paper. We'll actually say, what kind of business gives me the most freedom and flexibility and ability to work in ways that are joyful. And of course, there's the individual life, the picture of our individual lives, but on a bigger picture, why is free time so important? And how can we actually create more of that? You have some very specific steps you also talk about in your book. A lot of us probably think of free time as what we do when we're not working, the time Mm -hmm. off. I think of it as a verb, as a muscle, as a skill. So the skill of continually freeing more and more of our time is something we can practice and get better at. And the more strategically and creatively we think, the more we eliminate, the more we focus, the more free time we generate, not just today, but into the future for ourselves and others. That's what I'm passionate about is how do we continue to free our mind, time, and team so we can do more of our best work and be more present during the time off. Because we all know it's not truly free if you're anxious and still worrying about the business and staying up too late at night, things like that. So the system I describe in the book, the framework is to ask yourself, where are you in friction and where are you in flow? Friction is that you feel dread, you're procrastinating, you're drained, you're dragged down. We all, There's always stuff that it's causing friction. It's just is dragging us down. Flow is where you feel like time is flying. You don't even realize it. You don't even look at the clock. Time can, the sun can rise and set. And McKinsey data shows that we're five times more productive when we're in a flow state. So actually you can work less and still get more done and more powerful work done if you can create those conditions for yourself. So once you identify a friction area, that's where the free time framework comes in, align, design, assign. You go through this little process of making sure the work is aligned. You design how you want to tackle the work in a way that's easeful and joyful and systematized and automated and then assign. And that can be to software so that nobody has to do it. Or it could be to what I call a delightfully tiny team where no one has to work full time, including the owner. Great. And I really want to talk about the delightful tiny teams a bit later on as well, because outsourcing is so important. And a lot of people just feel overwhelmed. You know what? Let's talk about that right now, because a lot of people feel so overwhelmed. Now, there's a lot of options out there to outsource. There's a lot of ways you can find members of your tiny team and giving everybody a very specific kind of a small set of work to do makes everybody also be more at ease and happier and they can fully concentrate on that. What would you advise to people who are just starting out to build teams? How can they actually streamline the process of finding people, especially when they're not used to delegating or letting go? When you have built your baby, your business, whatever it is, and you're used to micromanaging and overseeing everything, that can be quite scary to let go. Absolutely. 
I know. This is something that even the most seasoned business owners I talk to, delegation is always a little bit tricky because it involves other people. If you're brand new to it, the first thing I would say is don't worry about who to hire yet or even how. Just keep a list of what you could delegate over the next two weeks. And you're not going to off the top of your head. If I asked you right now while you're listening to this episode, you could probably come up with a couple things, but by the end of two weeks, the list might be 15, 20 items long just because you notice things large and small that you don't love to do. The low-hanging fruit of delegation is not necessarily to give up those things, as you described, Ariane, of where you feel a lot of sense of importance and control and paranoia of what if this goes wrong. That's not where to start. Start with the stuff that you don't enjoy, that you dread, that you procrastinated on, that you wish you didn't have to do, and that you're not very good at. And just keep a list of those things. I even like keeping a list, even if it's on a piece of paper near your desk, of just hate it, meh love it. (laughs) Or friction, (laughs) meh, flow. The game hot or colder that we played as kids where you go hunt things around the house, cold, lukewarm, warm. And so I like three columns because there is a really a neutral zone. And so I find that helpful. And the other thing I'll say about delegation is the thing where it goes wrong is where you hire someone who also doesn't know what they're doing. That's unless they're making, unless they're doing the kind of most basic level tasks for your personal life, like making appointments, calling for a refund, waiting on hold with customer service. That's a low barrier to entry for someone to be good at it. The times I've been most stressed in my business were when I tried to delegate to someone who didn't actually know how to do the job very well. And the times I've been the most relieved are when I hire people who are better than me. They're specialists in a given area. That is when I feel true relief. So for example, with my two podcasts, I finally hired a production team and I was so nervous because it was the most money I was going to spend on anyone on my team on a recurring basis. But my brother just kept reminding me, you got to do it. You got to buy back your time. It's going to be worth it. And because they're better at it than even me, I would drop the ball. They don't. It's been the best investment that I've made, even though technically on paper, it's one of the higher ones. And you have two excellent podcasts that are actually very well loved. Oh, you have thank you. tons of downloads. It's free time for heart-based business owners and pivot with Jenny Blake. How, how can we overcome this kind of fear-based thinking as an entrepreneur? Of course, there's a lot of things attached to, God, this needs to work. And if it doesn't work, how do I pay my bills? Or failure is such a big thing in our brains. We don't want to fail. How can we, do you have some tips and tools how we can overcome this fear-based thinking and reframe it? One skill that entrepreneurs have is thinking being a little bit rebellious. And that's something that I love about entrepreneurs. They say, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going on my own. I'm the boss here. So we can take that same energy and apply it to question all of our assumptions about how work needs to be. Okay. The going belief is that we work Monday through Friday, nine to five. Why? Says who? Do we need to? Or the belief that if I work half as much time, I'm going to earn less. Is that true? How do you know? Have you tested it? It's actually harder to work less. It's harder. You have to be more strategic, more focused, automate more, delegate more in order to work less. So I would just drop, I would start with the fear. The fear usually comes from an assumption that probably isn't even true. So this fear that if I work less, I'll earn less and then I won't be able to pay the bills and the whole thing is going to collapse. What if you work less? Therefore, you have more energy. Therefore, you're more strategic, more creative, more unique, and your work resonates more. And then it's 10 times more successful. Couldn't that be just as true? as the fear-based thought. So allow yourself, give yourself permission to experiment at least for a bit. 
And in that way, you can actually see if your fears are true and most likely they're not. Most likely you'll learn something valuable. You can actually make part of your, become a new habit and you will get into that flow state. Giving ourselves permission is a really big thing, especially as entrepreneurs, we're creating our world on our own terms. You, at some point in your life, you actually give yourself permission to not earn any money. Can you tell us what happened then? Yeah, this was as recent as 2021. I decided to double down. I, a lot of my speaking gigs had been canceled and I finally decided I'm going to, it's almost going to be like a working sabbatical, whereas where I took the pressure off to earn anything at all. And I actually invested for the first time in 10 years. I purposely went into the red to invest in a new brand and business direction, the new podcast. You mentioned free time, the book. I went with an indie publisher, which is a whole different model financially. And it was a big risk. It was actually as felt as big of a risk as leaving Google was 10 years prior. And it was freeing. It's, I think that's a skill we you also build when you run your own business. You build the skill of navigating uncertainty and not letting the anxiety overtake you. At least that's something that I continually practice is I do, I do want to be able to make some big bets. I don't know if it's all going to work out. I can't guarantee anything. But as I say in Pivot, a lot of us don't have FOMO. We have font, fear of not trying. And that's how I feel. Like if I try going this way and it doesn't work, at least I know that I tried. And I don't always feel 100% confident and I have all the fears you mentioned, but I just try to also trust myself to be resourceful and try to, that I can, I trust myself to problem solve in the moment if things aren't working out. And is it true? I think you actually sold a house to fund your book. Yes, I did. And to fund my not earning any income, because <laughs> I'll tell you what I didn't want to do. So a lot of my income comes from keynote speaking. And of course, 2020 wiped a lot of that out. No biggie. I figure when the financial tides recede, as I call it, that's a signal to me that, okay, I'm meant to be doing something different. Maybe retreat, go into my creative cave, create something new. And I did. I sold my house. This I would have never done this probably pre-pandemic. But I ended up selling the house because I figured I was selling one asset to fund the next. And I almost became my own venture capitalist. And I had a few mentors say as much to me. How much are you willing to bet on this new direction? Can you treat it like you would be pitching any other VC. And that enabled me to not panic or scramble and fill my time just out of a fear of not earning enough money. And so I was, what I didn't want to do was just fill my time by creating a bunch of new courses and programs and hiring and taking on a bunch of one-on-one -on -one coaching clients again, which I had stopped doing in 2019, because then I wouldn't have that deep sustained focus. So 2021 and writing free time, it was the first time, this is my third book, that I really gave it my full focus, energy, and attention. And I wanted to know what was possible if I could harness my energy in that way and what I could create at, if, I, if given the most optimal conditions. And this is the result. And I don't know yet. It's not, it's not like it didn't hit New York Times number one bestseller status or anything. Yeah. So the, the jury's still out technically on the on-paper results, but... I say that it chopped the chart of my heart. <laughs> the chart it topped. 
When I asked you looking at all the endeavors that you have jumped into, all the things you've created, it really strikes me that you're a person, and you mentioned it yourself, listening to the tiny whisper inside, you're somebody who really follows her own intuition. And I think especially as entrepreneurs, that is something we need to be able to rely on. How can we actually grow this sense of intuition, especially when it comes to our to the businesses that we want to build. Yeah, I love that you brought this up because intuition is, I find, it's my best asset as a business owner. It's the best resource I have to know what to do, to stay calm, to get my next big ideas. I got a lot of inspiration from my friend, Penny Pierce. She wrote a book called The Intuitive Way. And Tosha Silver, who wrote a great book called Outrageous Openness, which is all about surrendering and offering challenges up to the divine. This dual nature of deeply listening. And when doing something like a book or a podcast, I actually picture myself tapping into the collective consciousness and really trying to sense what do people need? What does the world need or the audience that I feel equipped to serve? And some people will say, oh, you can't rely on your intuition. You got to look at the data. It's all about the data. But intuition is data. It's thousands of data points that are just operating under our subconscious. Just like I was saying about free time, intuition is a skill and you can build that skill. And the more you listen to it, the more, the louder it gets. And so I, yes, I just, I almost can't operate without intuition and I won't. And we all know that feeling like when meeting people, sometimes they just give you the creeps and you don't know why. So I try to... (laughs) that same skill that we can all relate to when you meet people. Some people have really good energy and you're drawn to them like a magnet. And then other people, something is off and you don't, you can't even put your finger on it. The same thing is true in business. Things can look good on paper, but you have a weird feeling or a should, or your energy is flat. And then there might be something you're just wildly curious about. You don't even know why, what it has to do with anything, if it's even possible. And yet your inner magnet, your intuition is saying, follow me, follow me like a picture of a little rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. And the more we hone in on that, the more we start listening to that, I think the more we free ourselves of the layers that cover this, you could even call it a spider sense, like Spider-Man, where we get rid of these layers. And you just said it, a should. There's a quote of yours, stop swimming in the sea of shiny shoulds. Yes. Oh, I love that you said swimming. I put sailing, but I love swimming. That's even better because you're like in it. You're in the water. Because imagine, I think if we were swimming in the sea of shiny sheds, it's like dark, murky lake water. It's, or maybe it's shiny, but then there's a bunch of sharks in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I saw you interviewed someone who survived a shark attack. That is yes. wild. Yes. Paul DeGelder, an outstanding human being. And wow. He's just such a testimony of how you can not only survive when life throws your worst fear at you, but how you can actually thrive. And he's now one of the biggest, most well-known proponents for shark conservation and saving the oceans. He's a host of Shark Week. Just for those who may have not caught that episode, he was in the Australian Armed Forces and he was a Navy diver and his right hand and right leg got bitten off by a bull shark. He today feeds, hand feeds bull sharks and goes cage-free diving with great whites. So anyone who wants to catch that episode, you can find us. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But so this is, um, it's about, that's also what I love about you. You face your fears, you dive right into them. 
And you have refined for yourself a kind of a process for making business decisions. Can you speak about that? Yeah. I wonder which, if you're referring to something in particular. Let's go for, because there's a lot of different areas, of course, but yeah. let's go for some of the bigger decisions that one may have to make, putting quite some of the in the money that one has on the line or investing it. Yeah. It, I think w- w- this is a common thread so far, even of this conversation today is I am just not somebody that operates without fear or insecurity or uncertainty. They're present all the time. And even I joke about this on my podcast, like awkwardness. I feel awkward all the time. I'm awkward when I interview my own heroes. I'm awkward when I hang up from a podcast. I could always critique what I could have done better and how silly I was and what a nerd I am. (laughs) Yeah. And I love Ariane's giving me the best thumbs up or I'll be at a conference and I'll be so shy and so nervous and so awkward to talk to somebody that I admire, but I just do it anyway. And this has been a theme of my whole life. And especially being a business owner, I am not someone who has succeeded at making fear and insecurity and awkwardness and all that go away. So even when making big decisions, it's not like I'm a hundred percent sure that it will work, but I get to the point where I'm almost rebelliously, curiously willing to try. And I do think of money as a flow. And I didn't make this up on my own. I read fantastic books like Creating Money. I really love, I love Tosha Silver's book, It's Not Your Money. I have a tendency with how I was raised and thinking about money to be really frugal and almost want to hoard it, save it, hang on to it, grip it tightly. And I've learned as a practice of just let it go, let it flow, let it move through me, let it come through my channels that trying to accept whatever I have is enough. But when it comes to making big decisions, to be bold. And I'm, I have grown more confident of betting on myself. I put a lot into the brand of free time, the book, the podcast, everything. But that feels, feels so important because it actually feels like I'm building my digital house. This is where I'm going to live online conceptually with the IP that I create for the next five, if not 10, if not more years. So I do invest in those areas where I know it's going to serve the world. And speaking about, I love what you just said about your digital house, like your digital. When you have, when part of your business is books, podcasts, how can you leverage that from what you have? from the IP, from what the content you put forth to maybe some other avenues. Because I think a lot of people are not very clear about that. This is not just it. You can do other things with these things. There's so many ways to put ourselves out there nowadays. It's been important to me to align with what actually gives me energy. And as you said, Ariane, not swimming in the sea of shiny shoulds. So I feel strongly about creating what I call ongoing public original thinking. I do think that to build any sort of platform, it is helpful to, on an ongoing basis, think out loud and to hit publish even when it's not perfect because it's not ever perfect, but it's just a week by week kind of a thing. So you got to be okay with that and just let it be uncomfortable, but on an ongoing basis, think out loud, publish things. I have been very clear that I don't want the brand to revolve around me, Jenny. On some level, it does. You know, Anyone who's here listening, you either resonate with my voice or you don't. And if you do, you might check out more stuff. Of course, I'm not inex- inextricable. What's the word? <laughs> you can't really just separate yep. entirely, but I'm not on social media because it doesn't give me energy. And I would rather people focus on the ideas of what I'm creating 
rather than my lifestyle. So I made that choice a long time ago as well. That had, at one point, my website was jennyblake.me. And that made me uncomfortable actually, because I don't want people around because of just me and how I live or what I look like. I want them, if they resonate with the ideas, primarily pivot and the pivot method and then free time and the free time framework, that's the focus. And that I like to be a little behind the scenes to the work itself but be the messenger for the work. Beautiful. You're actually touching about on something interesting. Yeah, let's speak about, this is a choice you need to make, a very personal choice. Are you comfortable with being identified with the work, what you create, is it built around you, or would you rather prefer to be behind the scenes? And as far as social media goes, for example, I have a lot of friends who are amazing at doing that, and they absolutely love it. And they also love putting themselves in the forefront. I myself am, let's say, very laid back. I don't do as much as the shiny sea of shoulds I could. That is also something one can outsource, right? If one doesn't feel really great with putting out the content on social media, especially if you feel more like a private person. Do you have some advice for that? Yeah, you can. uh, So I'm not on there at all. For some people, you, the person might not want to be on social, but maybe you want your business to have a presence or in your case, are you on the podcast? You, yes, Mm -hmm. you want the podcast to have a presence. So then I would treat it like any other business area, like bookkeeping or tax prep. You don't have to do all the bookkeeping yourself. You can hire a bookkeeper Same thing with social. You can still have a presence, but create systems and structure and boundaries around it so that it isn't all consuming. It's not 24 seven. You're not, again, if you're not someone where that gives you energy and you just have maybe a set day and time that you post or your team helps you post and a set day and time once a week or twice a week where you respond to messages. And I can guarantee that even if people are DMing, it's not urgent. Like most of us here on this podcast are not like, brain surgeons where if we don't respond in two minutes, something goes wrong. If you respond, if they write on Monday and you respond Thursday, they're still probably delighted to hear from you. So I would just, if it were me, I would keep it really contained and be really clear. And even there are incredible people like Denise Steffield Thomas. She did an episode of her on her show, Chill and Prosper, where she said she batches half a year's content in a two day. So you can become a total batching badass and then just write for half a year, everything your team needs from you in two or three days. That's a kind of a very extreme example, but it's possible. And that means that 95% of the time, you're not having to think about it at all. That's that's actually really great. Yes, it sounds a little extreme, but I guess if you get into that state and hopefully also flow state and just pour it out, what a weight, I can just speak for myself, but what a weight that would take off my shoulders. And circling back to tiny teams, which somebody you'd outsource social media to would of course be part of, do you have any advice for people who are newbies? Are there any steps one can take? Where can you actually find good people? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because there are services where they can assign someone to you. Sometimes I've gotten really lucky with that. I more prefer a model that my friend Dave Crenshaw uses where you can create a written application and that's good just as a first pass at who might be a fit and then just hiring people on a paid project basis. So I'm becoming increasingly interested and have a preference for doing something like that where it's a real tangible project for the business, but maybe you hire three people to do the same one. Then you actually get to know how they work, what kind of work they produce, how they communicate all the little nuances that you wouldn't get if you just called a VA service and they assign you somebody. 
And then after that paid project, then you can determine. And I think you'd have a much better sense of who's a fit that you want to work with. On the other hand, if you don't have, if it's not that complex, if what you're trying to delegate as a first pass is a lot of personal stuff, again, like scheduling, making appointments, that the VA services do pretty well about training a common core set of activities that aren't that complicated, but still it can be hit or miss. I know I didn't quite answer you. I'm actually just describing how it can be really difficult sometimes because you're not. it's not always guaranteed to work. And there is always a delegation curve up front where you are putting in more work up front. Absolutely. No, and it's totally fine. I just thought maybe you have some companies in mind that you had really great experiences with, but it's also totally okay not to endorse any particular companies. I know I just get asked these things a lot. I know. I've run <laughs> so many experiments. And what I like to do is no matter who I hire, everything I say to them and every question that they ask me gets documented. Mm-hmm. So if for any reason they transition off the team or it doesn't work out, we've still made progress because we've documented how to do that role. So no matter what, the way you can take the sting out of an experiment that doesn't work is that at least it's documented. Absolutely. And something that I also found interesting is I think you mentioned that you're also, which people would not suspect, but the introvert, I can completely relate to that. People who know me very well know this about me. I'm quite a hermit. I like to be alone, nobody around me. But I'm a highly functioning introvert. I can be super social and go out, but then I need my time to recharge. I'm super happy being alone. What have the potential challenges been that you've found running a business as an introvert and how were you able to overcome them? Yeah, I'm just like you. I love being alone. I love it. I just want to read in quiet as much as I can. I'd live like a monk if I could. Now I have a husband and dog, (laughs) but I lived completely by myself for many years. I find that I get more tired more quickly from having too many calls in a day or even too many emails in a week. I feel as I'm also introverted and also highly sensitive and empathic. So I feel a lot and I feel the energy pull and just the energy of peopling (laughs) as someone called it. I forget who. So I give myself a lot of breaks. And I also realized that after three Every now and then four calls in a day, I'm cranky. Just started to learn about myself by call number five. I was cranky. I was in the worst mood. And so I had to stop scheduling. And so I take fewer meetings. I spread them out more. I don't cram things in because I know that it just taps me out. And I also don't schedule calls during my best energetic creative window. So usually nothing before 11 a.m. And if I could, I'd wake up at 5.30, 5.36 if I get enough sleep. So I love having a big chunk of time every morning just for me, just for strategic work. I don't even look at my email inbox because I don't want the pull of all those people, tiny little requests, even though I love everyone in there, everyone's kind, wonderful people. Those are some of the strategies. And also I think podcasting is a big secret for introverts because we get to connect with people for really deep conversation. And I don't know about you, but I feel like it gives me an excuse to reach out to people Whereas I might otherwise just be reading a book, but this gives me an excuse to reach out, invite, schedule a call, schedule a conversation with that benefit that other people can listen. So I feel like it's just such a, it's actually how I make and maintain friends now. (laughs) 100%. It's a super secret podcasting. Yes. 
Truly. Well, and you just said you don't even look at your email. I think you mentioned you also talk about how to release guilt from not responding to people. It's really important that we're not that hard of on ourselves. Like you said before, we're not brain surgeons. So if we respond a little later, that's totally okay. And guilting ourselves is something that can really wear us down because it puts us in this stress mode and all mm. the things, hormones and whatnot that flood our body yeah. and actually really run us down then. And especially as an introvert, when I'm speaking for myself, I don't really enjoy managing other people and especially not micromanaging other people. What are the best tips you have to actually start building your delightfully tiny team? Okay, me too, because I had this is really hard for me to admit that I'm not that good of a manager. I'm okay. And that I don't love it. And I, I've always loved coaching. I love coaching. I love teaching. But as a manager, I found myself sometimes going MIA, like accidentally ghosting my team or not giving them enough onboarding attention or feeling bugged if people would just ping me with too many questions all day. And I just realized some people love managing others, leading teams, growing teams, having big teams. I realized that I like having the minimum viable team so that each of us is thriving. I don't want anybody to feel overly strapped or burdened or bottlenecked. I liked everyone on the team to be working on what they love. So I'm always looking to try to match people to the projects and to their role, but I don't want another person that I have to have in order to keep doing what I do, which is a relatively small business. I think some businesses, they do have plans and they want to scale really big and have as big as possible of an impact. I purposefully de design my business in a way that the programs that I offer, whether it's the private community for small business owners or licensing or coaching, they're all scalable. They don't depend on me. They're not, I'm not usually the bottleneck. Maybe, of course, with the podcast, even the community, I look for ways to create a really light infrastructure so that I have the backup support that I need to keep doing where I feel like my unique strengths are. But I don't have any ambitions to, I would probably change the business model before I would hire the next five people. Yes, that resonates with me too. And uh, when you, so you've published three books now and in another interview, I heard you talk about marketing your book and a couple of words came up that intrigued me, marketing it with serendipity and with magic. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? It can be so, it can be just feel like a, a big task, a heavy lift of marketing, especially yeah. if you're introverted because it's very vulnerable. Reach out to everybody, ask them to buy things, ask for favors. There's really, I found it to be such a vulnerable process of feeling like I was bombarding my community with mentions and shy about asking people if they wanted to have me on their podcast. The reason I love marketing with serendipity and magic is just trusting that if I put the work out there and it resonates, people will tell their friend and word of mouth will start to come into play. And Ariane, even meeting someone like you, we didn't know each other before this, but the serendipity popcorn found its way to you. And I love the idea of just sprinkling a bunch of seeds out there and then you don't know what's going to pop when and where and trusting in that process. And the idea of marketing the serendipity and magic is also about there's this Zen parable lift the oars or don't push the river. Like marketing doesn't have to be such a forceful, demanding metrics-based obsession of did I make the list? Am I on the list? To me, that's narrowing the focus too much. I would rather launch with fun and ease and joy and serendipity and magic and just 
almost be a receiver and get curious about what's going to happen next and delighted by whatever is happening rather than disappointed that I didn't hit some specific mm. number. And I think that actually weaves in, I love that <laughs> analogy of the seeds, the pop, the popcorn that just pops up at some point. And I think it weaves in right with something that's very important to you. The You put a big focus on shifting from criticism to gratitude and also bringing gratitude into business. Of course, quieting our inner critic is a really a big thing in every aspect of life. How do you actually go about doing that with regard to your business? I just think it can be so easy to for, to get into compare and despair. We look at what everyone else is doing and how successful they are or what successes are happening. And it's just so easy to get down and feel bad. And I don't know. I find every time I've tried Sometimes I feel like a bad business owner because every time I try to set specific goals, I don't usually hit them. And then it just shifts my attention and my energy in a way that's not actually helpful. And in hindsight, the goal is so arbitrary. Whatever I've plucked out of the sky is so arbitrary. And sometimes I have a lot of fun going for numeric goals. It's like gamifying a launch or gamifying the business. Other people are super motivated by specific goals and they become completely planful about how to hit them. I just let it be a little more loose. And I find that and what you mentioned about being in a state of gratitude helps me appreciate everything that is here and just trust that the opportunities that are here now are what they're meant to be. And when things get quiet, as they actually are right now, even as we're recording this, then I ask, okay, what's my business trying to tell me? It's quiet for a reason. What's What am I meant to do next? Or if I really get quiet and listen is it showing me what to double down on and what I might be able to drop? And you just spoke about goals. We're always chasing about goals. You actually have a no goals, just focus approach. Can you explain that a little further? Yeah. And I quote the co-founders of Basecamp 37 Signals in the book, how they also, so I think, again, some companies are so goal oriented and the whole, like a lot of entrepreneurs follow traction, the entrepreneurial operating system. And there's so much to like in that book and the structure he suggests. And I do think if, as the team grows, my friend Charlie Gilkey puts it really well, having metrics lets people know how they're doing. Like It actually reduces confusion and stress for team members because they have a way to understand if what they're doing is working or not. So I totally get that. For me, running a smaller operation, I have goals in terms of the size to grow the podcasts only so that I don't have to add in more work. <laughs> like there does become Jim Collins calls it the flywheel and he has this great book. It's an offshoot of good to great called the flywheel monograph. Of course, if you can get the platform big enough with your chosen outlet, then there's more leverage that like I thought about all the activities I did to launch free time. They might've been the exact same activities as someone who had a 10 X or hundred X bigger platform who then would have sold so many more books, but we both did the exact same thing. So I'm not getting down on myself about it, but I could clearly see that the same amount of effort could have yielded very different results if that same effort were applied to a bigger platform. So that's where I get interested in platform and where I think it's important to be discerning. Like I've, It's never worked for me to build on 10 different platforms. I just pick one or two, podcast and newsletter, and stay focused. Yes. 
focus is a very good thing to practice. And talking about practices, I always love to pick my guests' brains about practices that have served them well in their life, or maybe something new they've picked up that really enhances how their brain functions, that helps them physically or emotionally. Is there anything you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, I've I know you're a big yogi. Yeah, big yogi. I. Uh... If you're watching on video, I'm behind me is this closet under a stairwell and I have my Peloton bike in there. <laughs> I, ever since I got a dog, I don't really meditate anymore, but I take him out for morning walks. So that's, I really enjoy that. Like just a burst of fresh air in the early morning before the city is awake. I live in New York city that I've been really enjoying. And I also give myself permission to read whatever I want. The New Yorker books, I love reading in the morning and I don't feel even feel guilty about that at all. Like I'll read for an hour or two just to warm up my brain and get energized by ideas and excited and inspired. And I find that really rewarding. Mm, that's wonderful. That's a practice I intend to pick up as well. That sounds absolutely delightful. For some reason, I just have not done it. What better time in the morning than when you have time for yourself and the world is quiet, yes. just birds outside. That sounds amazing. Cup Thank of coffee you. or maybe you drink tea, but just a warm beverage in your hand. That sounds delightful. Jenny, for people who'd like to learn more about you, of course, they can read one of your fantastic books. Where else could they find you or reach out to you? Thank you. You can search for free time with Jenny Blake wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can also learn more about the book and get a bunch of free tools and templates at itsfreetime.com slash toolkit. Wonderful. Jenny, this was really great. It's so nice to connect with you. Love your energy, love your insights and wisdom and your mission to help make all of our lives easier, especially that of entrepreneurs, because often we just feel so burdened and you just bring such a lightness and play to the whole field. So thank, thank you. you for that. Oh my goodness. You too, Ariane. It's really a joy to connect. This is the, this is serendipity popcorn at its finest. <laughs> and I'm just honored you reached out. And I love the whole idea of superhumanize. To me, it's just all these themes that you picked out of shedding the layers. You said it so beautifully earlier. And I feel like we do have, we all have our superhuman self within us. Yes. It's just carving away what's getting in the way and setting that free. So well, thank, thank you for such fantastic questions and to everybody who's here listening. Thank you so much for your kind and warm words. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. You too. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.